Um, so we're in a series looking at the Ten Commandments. Uh, as you know, we're on week five, so this is the fifth commandment. And we're, this is kind of a hinge in the commandments. It's turning. Uh, as we talked about last week, the first four are the ones, are our obligations in, in our relationship with God. Um, and, and maybe I'll repeat something because I heard a couple people say that this is kind of a helpful way to think about it holistically, is that this largely has to do with imaging God. Everything that, that, that these are about are about imaging God. So the first one, the first commandment, remember it's don't have any other gods besides me. I'm the one who rescued you out of Egypt, right? I, I Yahweh alone, am that God. And so don't have any other gods before me. And then the second commandment is don't make any images, right? That's the wrong use of images, we said. And then worship, bow down and worship those things. And then the third one was, don't carry my name because you're imaging me to others, right? You're my proxy to the world. You're a kingdom of priests. So, don't, so image me well. And then uh, number four was, was this idea of the Sabbath. And memory says, like I rested, you rest, which is image me. Do what I do. He's inviting us to be like him. <laughs> And then, and then this, this fifth one is, like I said, it's sort of a hinge turning to, now it's talking about how we engage with other people. And we said, what are other people? They're images of God, right? So this whole thing is about imaging God well, how I engage with this one who I made to be his image in the world, his proxy, and fellow image bearers who I engage with. Does that make sense? You with me on that? And so the fifth commandment, like I said, it's, it's a bit of a hinge because it's moving to how I engage with other image bearers, but it starts with what would be the most important, and that's your immediate family, specifically parents. So it's, it's looking at that kind of idea there. I'm sure some of you, if you heard we were talking about, you know, honor your mother and father, how many of you were like, I need to call my kids and get them here tonight? This is an important message for them to hear. Um, so we're going to kind of walk through this. And, you know, Jesus understood these, these 10, the 10 words, the Decalogue, as being core. Three different times in the Gospels, um, you might have remembered the story of the rich young ruler, where this man comes to Jesus and he's talking about expectations. And Jesus, what does he do? He starts rattling off the 10 words. So Jesus appeals to them many, many times. And he appeals to this particular one also. And so tonight we're looking at this idea of uh, Exodus that we find in Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. Just one short verse. I think it's in your bulletin. It'll also be on the screens there. Um, would you read it with me? Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Okay? It's very, very short, very simple. Honor your father and mother, and we're going to take this in two parts. We're going to look at the honor your father and mother thing and say, like, well, like, what did that mean in the context? Like, what's going on there? And then we're going to look at the second part, which is there's this, you might think of it as a reward, as a promise. I'm going to suggest that it's actually a reason, in addition to being maybe a reward and a promise, but it actually carries with it a reason for why you should do this, which is kind of interesting. Because um, it's one of the only commands in the whole Bible that gives a reason to it. A lot of commands don't give that. Sometimes we wish, well, why? You know, give me the reason for it. This one actually does that. Now, a couple preliminary um, challenges. Um, be, and I've been thinking a lot about this um, this week as, as we were approaching this subject. Is uh, Number one, I think the first challenge to this is this idea, and even this verse, has been abused in people's lives. 
Um, I was reading one theologian this week. This is a theologian, you know, a guy who's writing commentaries. And he has this moment of, of uh, deep transparency in the midst of an academic commentary on Exodus. And he says this, from my own experience and observation, no text has done more damage to abused children than the words, honor your father and mother. It's kind of haunting. He says, I know that those words tormented me as a child, and I believe they have tormented others. And then he goes back into his academic journal. <laughs> this is a man who, who, who's writing commentary on Hebrew script, and all of a sudden has this moment of experience in his own life, which is kind of triggered as he's translating a Hebrew phrase into English and remembering, man, that there was some trauma involved in this being used for some ways that I was treated by my family. And so I guess I start out by just saying, um, I'm aware of that. I wish I could address all of those different things, but everyone has really unique circumstances, don't they? We all come from very, very different families. And there's dysfunction in every person. Therefore, there's dysfunction in every single family. It's just to one level or another. But what is good to know is this is not a modern problem. <laughs> this is an ancient problem. In fact, Ephesians chapter 6, um, Paul writes these words to the church at Ephesus. He says, children, obey your parents in Jesus. He says, this is right. This is good. And then he actually quotes Exodus 20, 12. That's on your paper there. He says, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment. He says, with a promise. And he gives the promise. So that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. The very next verse, he goes, oh, hey, uh, parents, do not exasperate your children. That's a danger. It was a danger then. It's a danger now. And then he goes on to say, instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. He's saying, lovingly care for your children. Are you going to discipline them? Yeah. He talks in the same letter about disciplining, but he says, you had better do it in a loving way, in a kind way. And in other places, he talks about this idea, the message that Jesus laid down was, if, if you want to be the greatest, you, you become the servant of all. So this whole concept of, of servant leadership. Yes, are you going to lead your family? Yeah, you're going to lead your family. But you're going to do it in a servant way, not a heavy-handed way. So this is, again, this is a perennial problem because of page three in the Bible. The fall. We're all broken. And so we all parent out of our brokenness in many ways. So that's, again, I think that's one of, you know, one of the challenges. And like I said, I, I know some of you um, have some of this in your past. I've, I've talked to people who, who have said, um, if I could learn to love my parents, I could learn to love anyone. If I can learn to forgive my parents, I can learn to forgive anyone. And I think that's, that's a call for those who have maybe those places of hurt and maybe still unforgiveness and, and very, very difficult. And I don't even pretend to know what that would be like. Um, but again, we've all seen horrible abuses of it. Thomas Aquinas in his book, The Summa Theologica, he had a, he had a great point. He said, an abuse does not nullify a proper use. <laughs> That's true in everything. If you see an abuse of something, it doesn't nullify the proper use of that thing. And the same thing is true with this. So the second challenge, first the one, it's like there's been abuse to this, right? It's, it's, it's been misused. But I think the second challenge is we live in a culture that has been stamped with probably maybe the most popular slogan of the 1960s. Remember seeing it on bumper stickers? I remember growing up as a kid seeing it on bumper stickers. You remember? Question, 
authority. Remember saying that? That was the slogan of the 1960s, in the late 60s. Um, specifically, there was a very controversial uh, psychologist by the name of Timothy Leary. Do you remember that name? For those of you who were like, I was born in the 70s, so I like came with the tail end of that. Um, Timothy Leary was this very popular, controversial, but popular psychologist. He, um, he gained a big movement with, with the youth culture by advocating um, LSD as an experience of getting out of the difficulties of life, but it, it, it caught on to this um, kind of countercultural movement of the, na- of the late 60s, largely out of the opposition to the Vietnam War. And this slogan came from Leary. Question authority. You know, don't, 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 don't believe anyone. You, you, you should have a suspicion. And then one author makes this comment about that slogan from the 60s. He writes, following the Watergate scandal, which resulted in the resignation of U.S. President Richard Nixon and the conviction of several officials in the Nixon administration, the slogan became arguably the most accepted form of ideology among baby boomers. Who's a baby boomer in this room? How how many? A number, okay. You, you could maybe attest to that. Maybe you could say, yeah, I, I remember hearing, you know, that, hearing those ideas. And I would say the, the, those ideas have kind of stayed in culture. They're still lingering, and they're affecting how we think about things. That There's this sort of suspicion of authority of people who might be an authority. Pick up any teen magazine or preteen magazine, and there's always sections in there where it's like advice columns. People write in, hey, what should my, my boyfriend, this is happening, what should I do about this sort of thing? One thing you, I bet you will be challenged to ever find is one of these authors say, have you asked your parents what they think? <laughs> and we laugh at that because, that, uh, well, of course they wouldn't say that. Well, why? Because we live in a post-60s culture which has been infused with this idea that you, you, you really can't trust even your parents or they're, they're, they're out of touch right? Whatever it might be. And many of us maybe have thought that at times, or maybe our kids have thought that about us. But we're, we're born into a world that is in anarchy. And again, that's Genesis 3. That's just a biblical concept. It happened before the 60s. <laughs> we live in a world which the primary sort of response to God is sort of giving him the finger. I'm going to be my own person. No one will define for me truth. No one will define for me what is right. I am the captain of my own destiny, right? That's this sort of feeling and flavor. And so um, we're, we're in cosmic rebellion. This is going to be hard. <laughs> this is, there, there are going to be challenges because of that. So tonight, again, what I said, what I want to do is I want to look at what does this mean? I want to look at kind of the original context, what's going on there. How was it understood by the ancient Israelites? And then two, look at like, why is it so important? What's the effect of, because this really does have significance in our culture, in our communities that we have. So number one, what does it mean? Let's read the verse again. Exodus uh, chapter 20, verse 12. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land that Yahweh your God is giving you. We've mentioned a couple times this, the Ten Commandments are repeated twice, once to the generation they're given to, then to the next generation so that they wouldn't do what their parents did. So in Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy 5.16, it's the repeat, it's almost identical. Honor your father and mother as Yahweh your God has commanded you so that you may live long and that it may go well with you in the land that Yahweh your God is giving you. 
Um, now, as we, I think we've said earlier, this is the only command that is entirely in the positive. It's entirely in the positive. Um, now, the first thing that we should notice is the verbs used in this as well as other ex- uh, examples, because this is like reinforced again and again, honor your mother and father, make sure you don't do this, you know, all these sorts of things. It's interesting, the, the, the verb that's maybe most commonly translated revere, which is a good translation, right? revere your parents, reverence to your parents. <clears throat> that word, it's used in two ways in the Old Testament, only two. It's used toward your parents, and guess who else? It's the answer that always works in Sunday school. <laughs> God. It's used of our parents, revere them, and then we're told to revere God, to, 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 to think of as different than everything else. Those are the only two times that these kinds of verbs are used is when we're talking or thinking about our response to our parents and our response to God. Exodus 21, 15, and 17. I'll read some of these different passages. Um, Yeah, Exodus 21, 15, and 17. He who strikes his father and his mother shall surely be put to death. He who curses, that's like bringing low, bringing shame upon, curses his father or mother shall surely be put to death. Leviticus 19, 3. Every one of you shall reverence, and that's, there's, there's that verb there, shall reverence his mother and his father, and you shall keep my Sabbaths, I am Yahweh, your God. So the same language for like revering, giving reverence to, that's used here, and it's almost spoken of as like, if you break it, it's, this, it's the supreme penalty. It's used in like Leviticus 24, Numbers 15, about God. It's the exact same kind of language. So the, the, these, this obligation, the Torah the first five books of the Bible, the Torah assigns extreme importance to the integrity of the family unit. It's extremely important so that society, so that culture can be stable. So family in in this ancient uh, Israelite society, family is like the bedrock. It is the bedrock of society. I think we mentioned a few weeks ago that there were were many people who, who converted Romans and Greeks and others who converted to Judaism or even a partial conversion. They're referred to the New Testament as God-fearing Gentiles, if you've ever come across that. What it means is they said, there's something unique about that people group, about how they do life. And one of the most compelling things was family. Because family life in, in Roman and Greek culture was just a mess. I mean, disgusting. So, so dysfunctional, it would, it would, it would shock you. And then they come across these people and they have high values of you hold your parents in honor and how you treat people. It matters. Why? Because they're those imagers. It's very, very attractive, and it was a compelling feature in this ancient world. Now, in this, in this command, the command itself, one thing that's interesting, another thing we notice is there's no hint that the command has a time limit. Have you thought about that? <laughs> Depending on how old you are, maybe you have or haven't thought about it. There's, there's no time limit given to this here. It doesn't say honor your mother and father until, you know, or there's no age given. Um, it expresses that the child, it doesn't matter what age they are, what, it doesn't matter what age you are, that um, the parent is to be valued above others. And it applies equally to son and daughter in the context, there's no difference. And it holds equally for both parents, for mom and dad. It's equal honoring of both of them. So what does honor mean? 
uh, doesn't mean obey in every single circumstance. Well, um, listen to Leviticus uh, 20, verse 9. It says, anyone who, who curses their father or mother is to be put to death because they have cursed their father or mother. Their blood is on their own head. This, this word that's used here, it carries with it the idea that you've done something to belittle your mother or father. You've, you've, you've brought them low. You've brought shame on them. You, you have intentionally humiliated or demeaned them. So that's the opposite of honor your father. The opposite is it's, it's, it's to uh, demean. It's to belittle. It's, it's to bring them low in some way. Uh, Deuteronomy 27, 16 is cursed is anyone who dishonors their father and mother. Um, don't treat them as common. Don't treat them like every other relationship. You have. There, there's actually something unique about that relationship. Not because of them even earning it. <laughs> it's simply because of the position. Because of the position they're in, there's a certain amount of honoring that we are to give them. Listen to... Um, Paul writes to Timothy, uh, this young pastor, and in 1 Timothy chapter 5, he says something interesting. He's, Paul is assuming this idea of your parents, like they're just different. When he says this, he says, uh, do not rebuke an older man harshly. That would be to demean any, any older man. He says, but exhort him as if he were your father. So he's assuming the father, mother have this kind of, like their specials. They're unique in who they are. And so we have to understand a little bit even about ancient um, Israelite marriage because that kind of impacts this sort of thing. You know, like we think about the leave and cleave thing, right, from Genesis. You know, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and cleave is the ancient uh, old English word that's used. Well, it's this idea that just because you're married and you have a new family unit, that doesn't excuse you from fifth command. It doesn't excuse you from bringing honor or revering your parents. If you think about it, in the ancient culture, um, whether it was the patriarchal times and they lived in tents, or whether it was the, when they were in urban centers and cities and they lived in homes, typically when a new family unit began, a man got married, she would come into the family household, right? And in the tent, they would either just partition off a new area of the tent or they would build on to the home, whatever it might be for their, but this is extended family living situations. Okay, so it, it, it still applied to them. Let me give you an example of one from Deuteronomy 21, verse 18. This is, it says, if a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and though they discipline him, he will not listen to them, then his father and mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of the city at the gate of the place where he lives. And they shall say to the elders of the gate, this our son is stubborn and rebellious. How many of you have ever said that? I've thought that many times. This our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones. So you shall purge the evil from your midst and all Israel shall hear and fear. Yeah, I bet they will fear <laughs> if that sort of thing is going on here. Now, What's the context? Think about The context is this is not a little boy. This is a man, or at least a young adult, right? He's, he's described as being a drunkard. He has a problem with drinking. Okay, that's not a nine-year-old. <laughs> this, this is a young man. And 
Um, he's refusing correction from his parents. His parents are being treated with contempt. Um, he's you know, undermining the family unit. He's, he's being a drain on the family's resources or just refusing correction. And the parents are told, don't take matters into your own hands. And son, you take, and instead, you take your son to the tribal leaders, which in Israel is essentially law enforcement. You take him to law enforcement, and you put his fate in their hands. They will determine what happens to him. And so now the legal system is going to do what the legal system does. Now, a couple things that are important to say. What's the pr- there's a principle here. Okay? The principle is... Um, today we may have to do the same thing, which is rely on the legal system. If you have a, a child who, for whatever reason, doesn't, doesn't take correction and that sort of thing, you may actually have to engage law enforcement. I've talked to many parents before in the past who, who have struggled with this issue of, well, you know, my, my child is doing illegal things, it's putting our family in jeopardy, and, and should I turn them over to law enforcement? Should I? And sometimes... The principle here is that is the right thing to do, right? Now, the, God does not condone um, the system of law enforcement, meaning this one right here. If it's, it's, he doesn't condone any culture. There's no ideal culture. Our culture is not perfect. Ancient Hebrew culture is not perfect. No culture is perfect. Are you with me on that? God's inserting himself into this culture, which already existed in this way, and he's, he's installing principles to a pre-existing culture. So God is not approving of the penalty, right? (laughs) He's not approving if it's death sentence, if it's jail. That's not it. He's talking about what is the principle going on here. And and that's important to understand because oftentimes people say things like, well, if we don't stone our kids, we're not obeying the Torah. No, no, not at all. That is a particular culture. God does not condone any, any, any culture at all. But he inserts himself in every culture. And he works with them just like he does with ours right now. So the fifth commandment, it, 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 it may not have scriptural limits, meaning like how old you are or anything, but it does have practical limits. Um, to treat parents as specials, to, to, to not belittle them, it does not mean obey parents at all times in any set of circumstances, regardless of how absurd or abhorrent they want, you know, whatever they want you to do. Are you with me on that? Um, the command, this command, and I would say no command, no command was given um, to, to increase or enable evil. Are you with me? No command is given to give evil a hand in doing something. Um, and again, we have to think carefully. Sometimes, you know, people just kind of check their mind at the door. Well, it says this. This is what we have. To, well, they understood it in a context. That's why it's applied so many different times. So the command was not given um, so that maybe a parent who has maybe a, a drinking problem or a mental health issue that they would have to be obeyed no matter how irrational the command is. If you're a parent uh, in Israelite society and um, or a child, and your, and your parent is commanding you to sin, sorry, no. Um, no command is given for that reason. God is the first authority. They, they, they understood this. God is omniscient. He knows when it's not in the best interest of a parent to have that authority. And again, I know people struggle with this, right? There are people who, because of their parents' situations, they think, how do I honor my parents' wishes because there might be something going on that for me to honor them would actually be 
it, it, would, it would be disastrous if I said yes. You know what I mean by that? How do I say no and honor them? When you realize if I were to say yes, it, it'll be disastrous maybe to them, to other people, to relationships. <clears throat> and sometimes honoring a parent means making a decision that is contrary to their wills, even. Um, having a parent's best interests in mind, that's the point. And here's the thing, God knows. God knows your particular circumstance. Like he's not learning as you're getting into a situation. God is omniscient. He knows exactly what's going on. And he knows everything that's happening. God knows the motivations of your heart. Think about that. That's a little scary, but it's true. He knows the motivation. He knows, are you taking pleasure in their, in their bad situation? Right? Um, he knows, are you, are you using kindness as a way to manipulate a parent? <laughs> he knows all of that. He sees, and so the, the call is here that we have to be very careful because we're going to be accountable to God, not just for behavior, but for what was your motive in doing that? Were you trying to sway something? Were you trying to manipulate a sibling member by you doing this or something like that? But again, God knows all the real motivations. He knows the, the words that are floating around in your head, whether you say them or whether you don't. There's an example that's kind of interesting. Um, in Matthew chapter 15, Jesus is talking with people and he brings up this very issue who by other outward actions look like they're honoring their parents but he says you know your your motivations are really screwed up and messed up here um, matthew chapter 15 we read that some pharisees um, and teachers of the law came to jesus from jerusalem and they asked why do your disciples break the traditions that's the keyword of the elders and they don't wash their hands before they eat because that's not that's not in a that's not a law thing this is a tradition thing and Jesus replied, and why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? And he's talking about a tradition called the Korban rule. This is something that was a traditional thing, and he, he explains it here. He says, for God said, honor your mother and father. And anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone decides that what might have been used to help their fathers and mothers is, quote, devoted to God, then they are no longer, then they are not to honor their fathers and mothers with this. Here's his point. Here's what he's saying. The Koran rule was, um, there's an expectation that you help your family. If they're in need and you have financial ability to do it, you help them. Well, there was this tradition that started where, where someone would say, well, this is my money and I'm going to dedicate it to God. And, and so I'm just going to set it right over here. And it's, it's just God's. I'm just dedicating it to God. So when my parents come and say, hey, you know, would you help me? I'd say, oh, I'd love to. But I've dedicated this to the Lord, and I just, I can't take it away. That would be, so this is a sort of trick thing that they were doing. And Jesus gets right to the heart, and he goes, baloney, okay? I, I like, I'm just throwing, you know, that, you know, my, my baloney meter is going off here. It has nothing to do with honoring God. Because if you really honored God, what would you do? What did he command? You honor your father and mother. You would assist them. You would give that. You would sacrifice for them. And so again, God knows your particular circumstance. He knows what you're doing. He knows the difficulty possibly of it. And he knows your motivations. So kind of in summary, the fifth commandment, it does not mean handing parents absolute dictatorial authority, no matter what the situation or what they want. <clears throat> Rather, the fifth commandment speaks of not, be, not belittling or demeaning. It means treating them the best possible way. 
Treat them well as best you can, God being your witness. That's the command. That's what it is. So, number two. Okay, I think we kind of have our arms kind of wrapped around this a little bit, like what it means to honor your mother and father. Why is it so important? <laughs> what, what's the benefit? Because if you remember, um, I, I, I said earlier, um, there's a statement made at the end. It says, uh, verse 12, honor your father and mother. Why? So that you may live long in the land that the Lord your God is giving to you. Now, big question is, is this a reward? Is this like, if you do this, I'll, I'll give you something that's, un, like, like that's not attached to it? Like, I'll just give you a present? <laughs> or is he saying, do this because it leads to this? You know what I mean by that? So it's not, just, it's not just a reward or a promise. It's actually a reason for why this is important. This is the only one. Um, if, if you build a community, and here's what's important to know. If you build a community, a society, whose children honor their parents, that society will long survive. The corollary, if you build a society or a community where children do not honor their parents, it is doomed to self-destruction. See, God is telling them that there is a link between honoring parents and maintaining society. There, there, there is a link to those things. Now today, there are a lot of modern parents um, who either don't know this or they don't believe it, because honoring implies um, authority figure. And, and again, many, many modern parents, sadly, think, well, that's, that's not a good thing. Hierarchy is, is, is not a good thing. Um, everything needs to be flat. There shouldn't be any authority figures. That's just not true. That is absolutely not true. Um, and so they oftentimes reject that, that sort of status even in themselves. In addition, many parents seek to primarily be loved by their kids. Now, I want to be loved by my kids. Do not hear me wrong. <laughs> but if that is your highest value in life, what will you do? Well, you'll indulge them because you know what it's like. Please, 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 mommy, please. I, you know, like my kids are like, I will love you so, I'll love you so much. You know, like they say that, even if they don't say it exactly, but you know what I mean? You get that feeling, right? If my primary goal in life with respect to my kids is to be loved, I will destroy them and I will destroy our relationship. That is not my primary goal. That should not be your primary goal is to be loved. It, it should be a want. I hope you want to be, I, I really want to be loved by my kids desperately. <laughs> but it can't be my primary goal. What this, text, what this command is telling us, your primary goal with regard to them, what it looks like, is to be honored by them. Because that will set up the best possibility for them to love you. And again, honoring, not in this weird heavy-handed way, we've talked about abuses and that sort of thing. It's a servant leadership thing. <clears throat> but revered and respected is so important in this way. And this is what, you know, we, again, we kind of live in a, in, in a culture where we tend to think of it like, oh, I'm, I'm friends with my kids. Yeah, but that better not be the, the peak of the pyramid of what your relationship, it, 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 it had better be, you're still special. <laughs> you're unique. Like my kids, we, my kids joke around, they tease me, they, they all, you know, kind of, you know, make fun of me, little things, but there's a line. And there's times where I go, okay, no, you just cross the line. Because I want, and, and I'm not even entirely sure where the line is, but when it feels like that's just disrespectful, 
then I, then I call them on it. And here's another thing. I call them on that with God. Um, we don't joke about prayer in our house. Why? Because God is the ultimate one to be revered. Now, we, we joke, we, we laugh all the time. We, we love laughing. But I want them to understand there's a certain thing, God, you just got to be real careful. And sometimes they'll go a little far, and I'll just go, we shouldn't joke about that. Not because, oh, we're afraid, but he's, he's a special. <laughs> he's to be revered. And it doesn't mean, I mean, there are times of laughter with God. There's celebration. It's not, it's not a fear. Are you with me? You know what I mean by that? I just want them to understand God is uniquely special in a much superior way than I am. And I'm in a little tiny way, uniquely special. And so just, there's a line <laughs> that they have to see. And again, it's for their own good. And this is one of the reasons why I would say why we need to do this. We... Um, the reason why honor is important is because we as children need to honor. Does a parent need to receive honor and should they want it? Yes, absolutely. But we as children need to honor our parents. Um, parents that aren't honored are essentially adult peers of their kids, meaning there's no authority figure. And we of all generations know the most devastating thing that happens when there is not a parent in the household. We know how devastating that. Our generation maybe knows anything better than anyone else. For instance, without a father. And what can happen? Fatherless boys, and this is just statistics. Fatherless boys are far more likely to grow up and commit violent crimes. They're far more likely to mistreat women. They're far, out, far more likely to act out against society in every way. Now again, let me make a note here. Single parents, I have many good friends who are single parents. This does not like damn you in a direction. And, and, and we're gonna get there. <laughs> so if you hear this as like, oh, I'm, I'm hosed. No, not at all, not with God in the picture. But I'm talking about the statistics of why this is important, of why God said this was important. And my friends who are single parents will tell you this stronger than anyone because they know it. Um, also girls who, who don't have a father to honor and hopefully to love, they're more likely to seek the wrong men, more likely to be promiscuous at an early age. So we know the importance of this. So when I say, it's good for me to honor my father and my mother, I mean that. It is good for me. It helps me out in life to have a parent to honor, and then secondarily to love and all these other things as well. Number two, it's very difficult to learn how to honor God and recognize his authority in our lives without having learned how to honor and recognize a parent's authority, especially, again, especially a father. Sigmund Freud, who many of you know, the psychologist, famous atheist, um, he theorized that, quote, one's attitude toward one's father largely shaped one's attitude toward God. And that's just common sense. Having learned, here's an example, having me learned as a little boy at times to trust my mom and dad even when I didn't understand the why, you know what I mean by that? Because <laughs> that took a long time, and I'm still not very good at it. But having learned that, still learning it, now in my relationship with God, are there times where I have to trust the Father, even when I don't understand why? Yeah. If I wouldn't have learned that a million times here, how easy would it be for me to do it here? It'd be very difficult. So my... my I'm learning from honoring my parents. I'm learning of how to then, how do I honor God? 
how do I respond to God? How do I engage with, with God? So I'm, I'm learning that from him. <clears throat> and the final reason, if your children, for those of you who, who have kids, if your children see you honor your parents, no matter how difficult the circumstances sometimes are, the chances are far greater that they will honor you. Um, for those of you who, who, who do have kids in the house, do your kids hear you talk negatively about your parents? You know, like, oh, you know, dad again, he's calling to this, oh, mom's always doing If your kids hear you say that, guess what they will say about you in front of your grandkids when you're out of the house later? Exact same thing. That's one of the things that I'm so, I, I'm so appreciative for of my parents. I never heard them demean their parents. Were they bothered by the parents? I'm sure they were. <laughs> but they were specials. And I never heard that. I never heard them belittle them or demean them. And that impacted me. That impacted how I live and how I think. Luke 6.40 says this. Jesus says, um, Every student who is fully trained will be like their teacher. <laughs> Oof. <laughs> that's kind of scary. I don't know about you, but like I've got kids in the household, and sometimes I'm like, oh man, that's weighty. That is scary. I'm training my kids of how to live. And, and, and for those of you who are like, man, that is, kind of freaks me out. It's super weighty. I totally agree. But let, me, <clears throat> let me share one thing with you. And I wrote it down just because it's a little, a little complicated, but if you see it, it might be a little easier. I'll just put the names up here. You see that okay? Um, there's a, uh, there was a 17th century um, pastor in England named Thomas Fuller. <clears throat> and Thomas Fuller wrote a devotional on uh, Jesus' genealogy in Matthew 1. I would have never thought to write a devotional. Have you read a genealogy? I mean, there's nothing too devotion-y about a genealogy. But I love this. <clears throat> so he's reading, he's reading Je Jesus' genealogy. Just, you know, so-and-so begat this person, begat that person, begat that person. And he had this beautiful observation that's helpful for me, especially in light of this is weighty. And he says this. He's, um, he observed a remarkable change among the generations. And he writes this. Lord, I find the genealogy of my Savior strangely checkered with four remarkable changes in four immediate generations. <clears throat> he says, Rehoboam begat Abijah, that is a bad father, a bad son. Abijah begat Asa, that is a bad father, a good son. Asa begat Jehoshaphat, that is a good father, a good son. Jehoshaphat begat Joram, that is a good father, a bad son. And then he says this, I, this is interesting. He says, I see, Lord, that hence my father's piety cannot be handed on. That is bad news for me. But I also see that my actual, that actual impiety is not always hereditary. And that is good news for my son. <laughs> see, this is hopeful. Because ultimately, each one of us, each one of us needs to be refathered by our heavenly father. That's why the Bible uses this language of adoption. You and I, you've been adopted into the family of God. And that's going to involve being refathered. And all those things that came from your heritage, you know, that are still kind of dysfunctional, 
they don't work in God's family. He says, we're going we're gonna to learn to do things differently in my family. <laughs> You're going to be re-fathered by me. And Jesus called to church to be his body. We're adopted. And we're called to reach out to, you, you remember these groups like the fatherless, the orphan, right? These are groups that he's saying, they're other imagers, and you're imaging me. Remember, that's what we talked about at the beginning. You're my proxy. And as I, have, as, as I am refathering you, follow me, just like on the Sabbath day. You saw me rest, you follow me and do it. You're seeing me refather people, I want you to refather people. I, I, I had asked, I, I was disappointed, but it's a pretty good reason they can't be here. Um, many of you know um, Dave and Ricky Guerrero. Uh, they, they always sit like right here. And Ricky's my favorite person because she is the most supportive person of everything I say. She's like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so she's like my, my, like my biggest encourager. So, um, but I, I asked them to, uh, to, to come tonight and share a little bit about what, what they're doing. And unfortunately, they, their daughter has a recital that like started at, I think it was like seven or something like that. I was like, oh, dang it. Um, but what's so cool is a, a couple years ago, they were at our orphan care weekend on the weekend, and they saw these pictures, they were telling me, of these faces of these little kids who, who didn't have a father, weren't being fathered, they're in the foster care system, whatever. And he said, man, they just like, their heart broke, and they just started asking questions like, what can we do? And we can pray, and that's the hugely important. But they said, I just wanted to do, I wanted to do more. And so they've just been thinking about it and praying about it and kind of working it over their mind. And, and they, what they found was there's an organization called Arms of Hope. It's in Texas. I guess Dave's like, oh, I did not want to go to Texas. <laughs> but he goes, but I do want to be with those kids. And the Arms of Hope, it, it, it brings in boys in one area and, and girls in another. And they're, they're looking for, for families who will be the house parents of these children on these homes on this campus at Arms of Hope. And so they went through this long process and applied, and they flew out there, and they just found out like a couple weeks ago, we've been accepted. We get to be house parents to, to a home full of little girls. Uh, and these, this is like 10 girls, and they're from age 10 to 18. And they don't have, there's no father. And they realize like, we're imagers of God. He's refathering me. He's calling me to help father people. And then they found out, but we, we need you down there like in... 10 days. <laughs> and so that's, they're just kind of in a mad rush right now. They're trying to sell all their stuff. They're trying to, trying to get down there. And I wanted to pray for them tonight. So maybe we can pray for them, even though they're not here with us, right? We know God's not really affected by that. Um, and what he had this statement where he said, we will have the chance to love these girls for the time that they are in our care and to show them that they're loved by Jesus. We're going to image God. We're going to go there and image him. And I thought, what a beautiful thing. Can we pray for them right now? <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we all just uh, link up together as, as a family, and we, we stand in agreement with this prayer. God, we ask that you would go before Dave and Ricky and their kids um, as, they, as they go down to this, these uh, arms of hope. And God, that they would be that, that they would be your arms extending they would, they, they would image you well. And God, would you select just the right 10 little girls who need to be refathered, who need to be reparented, who need to be loved in a way that only you can through your servants. And so enable them, go with them, empower them. God, let them know that they're not just going, but they're sent from us, that we are with them. 
And we're just grateful. We look forward, God, with anticipation to see what you will do. And we may not know until this, the other side of eternity, but what you will do in the lives of these little hearts, of these little girls. Do great things, Father. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.